0: Okay, very excited to begin our very first shear of the building your hashkafa series. So before we get started, I just want to give a little bit of background to the shear and what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks. I like to I like to say that we live in a dvar Torah culture, and what that means is we consume Jewish ideas in small, unplanned, you know, bite-sized increments from a variety of different sources. And so if you ask us about any one specific topic of our belief system, you know, we'll say, oh, well, I heard this nice idea here and I heard this nice idea there. And that's kind of where we begin to paint our view on the world and our view on Torah and our view on Judaism through those, you know, ideas that we heard. But the problem is that, A, we're not doing that in any sort of organized or exhaustive fashion. B, we're often only hearing 1% or 2% of the entire picture. And C, very often those 1% or 2% are contradictory to the other things that we think we know. So, you know, you'll hear a nice idea about you know, Olam Haba and what Olam Haba is, and it's a truthful idea, and let's say it's the Rambam's perspective, and you're missing, you know, a lot more of the picture, obviously, and everyone else's perspectives, and so you may be formulating, you know, your worldview on one very specific point, uh, and then when it comes to Gan Eden, you're going, you heard the Rambam's approach. Now, there is no There is no way to build a, you know, a, a consistent, coherent view of what the afterlife is if you heard the Rambam's approach on Olam Haba and the Rambam's approach on Gan Eden. Right? Those views contradict each other. But we never get that because we never went through the information uh, properly or in an organized fashion. Now, it, for biderach mashal, just to kind of you know give a sense for why this is problematic, you know. When you think about it, imagine you were going to a surgeon, and you ask what his educational background is, and his, you know, what his background in training is, and he basically explains that he learned surgery in a similar way to how we learn what it is that we believe. So he says, yeah, you know, from the time I was a little kid, I just heard these, you know, ideas about surgery, these ideas about biology, you know, some uh, I watched a YouTube video, where the guy had some techniques... Of course you'd never use a surgeon like that because you understand that that's no that's not a proper and not a successful way to be uh, to be learning anything, certainly not something as important as surgery and calvahoma are not as important as torah so I felt the need to try to clarify uh, a lot of our beliefs a lot of our ideas, and go through them in a very organized and methodological fashion now I found that a lot of people, when they come to, let's say, their year in Israel or several years in Israel, they're hoping for clarity on the matter. And originally, I built this series, you know, directed at the the gap year student age. And very often when the very often when you get to that gap year, so you find yourself in one of two places, right? One place, it kind of tells you what to think, and then you get clarity and you start to to solidify a Jewish identity, but it's not necessarily yours. Um, It's someone else's. It's being imposed upon you. And you're not necessarily comfortable with the ideas that you're committing yourself to. And the other approach gives a lot of freedom. But the downside to that approach is that sometimes when you have no one telling you what to do, you have a lack of clarity for an extended period of time until you figure figured out what it is that you're supposed to be doing, right? Where you're trying to develop and hone the nuances of your beliefs and values, uh, but without anyone really telling you what to do, so it, you may be stuck in limbo for a while. And so my goal uh, of building this series was to try to spell out our ideas, you know, in a relatively thorough and methodological way, so that I can expose anyone who's listening to the ideas, you know, as uh, thoroughly as I could possibly muster. And then from them, uh, people would be able to, you know, from the exposure to these ideas and to the sources inside, people would then be able to, you know, further develop the nuances of their hashkafa uh, f- on their own and in a way that's, that's comfortable to them and in a way that, that uh, speaks to them. So that was really the goal of the series, and it started out as a pretty small endeavor that I thought was going to be, a, you know, a 10-shear, a, a 15-shear series, just kind of highlighting the uh, biggest Ashkafic uh, questions of our time. And then I realized that I really needed to broaden my definition and try to go through uh, Jewish thought uh, much more thoroughly. Now... I have about seven you know, different areas that I'm working on, and really each one is Ulam lo. Really each one is its entire own universe that takes a tremendous amount of time and, and, and thought and uh, organization. And there are just almost endless uh, Makorot on the matter. And so I took seven different topics and I broke them down into subtopics. And this year we're just going to be focusing on Talmud Torah. We have about a you know a year's worth of content. I would say maybe a little bit more, just to focus on understanding our thought, understanding Jewish values and beliefs as it pertains to the Torah. Obviously, a very central part of our existence. The other topics that we'll you know hopefully cover um, in the continuation of the series. We have Ben Adam LeMakom, so things between man and God. But it's not just you know it's not just between God. It's not just between us and God, as in you know. Uh, loving God, fearing God, serving God in that regard, but it's also between God and us. So it's an exploration not only of how we speak to God through Tfilah, but how God speaks to us through Nevuah. not only how we see God, you know, through Ahava, through Yira, but how God sees us as uh, servants or as sons. So there's a kind of a duality in that sheer of understanding how we relate to God, but also how God relates to us. Uh, The third series is one on am yisrael and what you'll find in a lot of you know a lot of works that try to focus on understanding am yisrael is that you really need to break it down into understanding the nature of the nation of israel and then understanding the understanding their understanding the nation of israel in two different modes of being throughout their existence which is in exile and in redemption. So essentially it's a shir that deals with the nation of Israel, the land of Israel, uh, the time of, the, of of redemption, and the time of exile. We also have uh, one that focuses on community life in Judaism, you know, big communal elements in Judaism, uh, and that will also touch upon uh, Ben Adam Lechavero, but not limited uh, to Ben Adam Lechavero, the value of a community and a tzibor and not to be poorish men at uh, we'll also touch upon uh, rabbinic Judaism, let's say, and how the rabbis well, what is you know the current as well as the historic role of rabbis in you know in Judaism. And we'll have Torah Adam, which is essentially understanding a human being. Understanding what human beings and what Jews are on kind of a, a more basic level. So we're kind of this balance between physical and spiritual, you know. Animals made B'Tselem Elokim almost, right? So what that means for us in our interaction with the world and our religious endeavors How do we grow? What makes us unique? Uh, developing our midot. what are good midot? how do you develop them? Our emotions, the religious significance, of our emotions, relationships, partnerships um, And even S'char Ve'onesh, uh, I think, will be in that category as well in terms of reward and punishment. And then the last one is to focus on the uh, the Jewish year cycle, right, the significant times throughout the Jewish calendar. So it'll have a you know a little bit of a of an address to broader the significance of time and then we'll go through time by time throughout the year and kind of discuss the deeper significance and the ideas inherent in every chag and every moed and everything that we celebrate throughout the year. And uh, so of course, you know this is a it's a multiple year endeavor, but Uh, Really something that I saw as absolutely critical in order to just to to spell out the ideas and clarify them so that we're able to, you know, before you can really formulate for yourself a proper view, you need a a very, very thorough understanding of the sources that speak about those things. So that's that's really the goal. And over the next couple uh, weeks, we're just going to be doing a hakdama which is, the Hakdama is really focused on uh, what it means to learn Hashgafa and how to go about learning it properly. So we're just going to do that introduction uh, for the next uh, couple of weeks. Now, the first idea that we really need to tackle in uh, learning Hashgafa is understanding that the Torah puts a tremendous emphasis not only on, not only on actions and acting in an appropriate manner, but also on ideas and thinking in an appropriate manner. And the the book, the Sefer, that speaks about this idea, perhaps more so than any other, is a Sefer called the Chovot Alevavot. And the whole premise of this Sefer is essentially to deal with, in a more thorough fashion, than has been uh, in the past, the, the thought-based sides of Torah. The, 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 the Avodah, the Chovot, the obligations, the mitzvot, that are accomplished not with the hands, but with the mind, he says with the heart. But essentially it boils down to the same uh, basic concept. And he lists the he lists the areas of focus that the Torah has, or rather the, the specific points of focus that the Torah has uh, on this area. He says, hi chovot levavot. Right? So there is a there is a you know kind of a deeper, almost a hidden avoda a service that we have and that's the service of the heart or of the mind right this is this is having this is having faith in the kadosh baruch Hu, in believing in him believing only him he goes on to say uh, accepting the yoke of heaven you know, what that means is not just believing in god but also uh, understanding that when God says something, it means that we are obligated in it, which is no simple task, and it takes a tremendous amount of focus and thought. Understanding what does that mean and why I'm obligated, and and how how you make yourself subservient to uh, to another being, right? And obviously the love and the faith that we are supposed to have. The he goes on and just brings several different examples of things that we are supposed to obligations that we have, that the Torah puts tremendous emphasis on, that are not accomplished through the hands uh, or through the body in any way, just mainly through the mind or perhaps through the heart. The Ein Yaakov, uh, which is a commentary sefer on the Agathas throughout uh, throughout Shas, so it focuses primarily on ideas, so it's a very appropriate source to be looking at, kind of builds on this idea, and he speaks about how the Torah essentially has three parts. And God gave us the Torah for three parts, and he brings a, a metaphor for if a uh, tailor has three types of material, so a foolish tailor will cut it all up and just make t-shirts out of it, and then he could sell you know, every t-shirt for a couple bucks and not make much more than that. Um, However, a wise tailor is going to say, okay, this is, the, this is the better material and I'm going to use it for you know, formal clothing and this is the less good material. I'm going to use it for, let's say, you know business clothing and then this is the worst material and I'm going to use it for leisure clothing and that's what I'm going to use to make t-shirts. And then sure, the t-shirts you can sell for a couple bucks just like the foolish tailor, but the suits you can sell for a lot of money. And the point that he was driving at is that it takes a wise person to assess what they have and understand how to use it properly. And he says, with the Torah, it's no different. We have a responsibility to look at the Torah and assess what we are supposed to be learning from it, not assuming that it's just coming to teach us what we're supposed to do in a very specific sense. But as he writes, the very first thing the Torah is teaching us is not about what we do. He says as follows, <laughs> Right, one of the purposes, one of the uses of the Torah that we received Ladatha inyanim dakim haruhanim, right? It's to understand the spiritual matters. Right, understand kind of the spiritual domain of our universe, not just the the physical world which we can study scientifically, but the spiritual world. Right, we have to understand how these matters work. He says this is essentially studying that domain that we just spoke about, the Chovot HaLevavot. Right, studying the domain of belief in God or loving God, studying the domain of our subservience and commitment to God. Alternatively, he says, musre nefashot. Right? So he adds, learning musar, learning what you know what's what's appropriate development, not just about our actions, but about our midot and about our character and about our you know our about our behavior more broadly speaking. He says this is the first use, well he doesn't really give them an order necessarily, it's the first one that he mentioned, but this is an absolutely and and an, Integral use of the Torah is to use it to understand matters of spirituality, matters of thought, matters of appropriate behavior. So the Rambam um, it as well addresses the idea of, you know, learning ideas, of course, and he has a whole Sefer just kind of elaborating or really trying to clarify the major ideas within Judaism the as the Mora Nebuchim. And he brings a very famous metaphor that really elucidates the, how, how necessary it is, really illuminates, rather, how necessary it is to study ideas, to study the ideas of the Torah and not just the actions of the Torah. And he brings a, a metaphor of a kingdom. And the kingdom, obviously, the palace is in the center. And then you have the you know the surround the property of the palace and then you have the city outside the palace that's in the kingdom and then you have kind of the surrounding uh, areas that in theory are under the domain of the king but they have no idea who the king is and they've never seen him so He breaks down what every example is. He says, first of all, you know, you have those who just are not at all familiar with the the king. Of course, they're technically under his domain, but they're, you know, ignorant to his existence. And this is people who are just thoroughly unfamiliar with God. He says, then you have people who realize they're in a kingdom, but are facing in the opposite direction. They want to see the king. They would love to see the king. Um, but they have their backs turned to the palace. They're looking for the king in the wrong place. And that's people who have, unfortunately, stumbled upon incorrect um, incorrect, you know, philosophical uh, opinions, let's say, and they're looking for the king in all the wrong places. And then you have the people who are looking, who are facing the kingdom, and they would love to just see the king. They would love to go see the king, but uh, they've never gone to see him. Uh, they've never moved. He says... This are, these are unlearned people, essentially, who do mitzvot. They keep Torah and mitzvah, uh, but they're unlearned. So, you know, they want to see the king, and clearly they believe in the king, and clearly they express some sort of desire for a relationship, but they're not moving because they're not learning Torah. It says, and then you have the people. And this is, I guess, the, the, the part of the metaphor that's really most important to mention. It says, and then you have the people who are going to the palace of the king. They're walking towards the palace of the king, but there is this impenetrable wall up in front of the palace, and they simply can't figure out how to get it. So they're walking around it forward and backward, and they're looking for the entrance, and they're trying over it, under, whatever it may be. My word's not the Rambam. And they just can't get through it. And they want to be there so badly, but they are stuck outside, says the Rambam, and they're never going to see the king. They'll forever forever be stuck outside. The Rambam explains that these are people who keep Torah and mitzvot, who learn Torah consistently, but essentially don't learn machshaba, don't learn Jewish thought. And I want to see the Rambam's words inside, uh, because I, I would like to convey the exact words that he says. He says as follows. He says as follows, He says, okay, those who reach the house, reach the, the house of God, and they're just walking around it, and they can't get in, they believe in the right things, because they were told what to believe, and they believe in the right things, right? And, they, and they even learn, Right? They even learn what they're supposed to be doing. They're learning alacha. V'lo hirgilu b'iun However, they haven't habituated themselves to analyze the Shorshe <speaking in Hebrew> ha-Torah. The underlying ideas upon which our practice is predicated. The roots, the roots of what we do. V'lo le le'emet emuda. Right, and they haven't analyzed our faith, and they haven't tried to verify for themselves what it is that they believe. Says the Rambam, they're outside the house, and they're just going to be walking around it. But those who already began to learn the the principles of our religion, the primary principles of our religion, they're already walking down the hallway, they're already walking down the the, the pathway to the king's home. Then, once you get there, once you become more proficient in these matters, so you're in the palace with the king on different levels, in different interactions, and different exposures. But the Rambam, of course, places a major, tremendous emphasis on not just uh, religious practice, and not just being Mikabel not just accepting what someone tells you to think, but rather to very, very thoroughly analyze uh, what it is that we believe and to spend a significant portion of time learning uh, these Shorshei HaTorah, as he calls them. He says that your ability to interact with the king on, you know, to, the, to the fullest degree is really contingent upon your knowledge of these fields. So yes, the Torah puts tremendous emphasis not only on actions, but on ideas and sees, uh, thinking properly and integrating these ideas properly um, and studying them as tremendously significant in your existence and your service of God and your relationship with God. And now we really get up to the, a major question that really anyone who hopes to deal with ideas, especially spiritual ones, uh, needs to tackle Uh, you know, sooner rather than later, which is how you know where you're getting authentic information from, how you know uh, when an idea is truthful, right? So what we're familiar with in, you know, the scientific world is that generally information, we have some way to, some tangible way to study or to calculate the, you know, the, what it is that we're learning. We have some way to verify facts, we have some way to analyze data, you know, in, in, in to different degrees. And, and you know, that's just not something that we can really translate to the spiritual domain or the philosophical domain, whatever you like to call it. I, I don't love that word, and we'll get into why exactly. I don't think it's a necessarily a proper uh, definition for what it is that Jewish thinkers are doing. But in the philosophical domain, obviously, everything's a little bit more abstract, certainly, but we don't have the same methods of verifying our ideas as we would have in the physical domain and in the scientific world. So, how do we learn truthful ideas? And the truth is, so Judaism has a very specific approach. The Torah has a very specific approach to learning truthful ideas, right? Whereas you know, in the broader philosophical community, it may be about, you know, sitting in a room by yourself and pontificating about the world and why it may be and may not be, uh, but Judaism has a very different approach. The Ramchal in Derech Hashem uh, writes as follows, karatu shema sefer azed Hashem ki hu kalal midarkav Right? The, the reason that I call this a sefer, Derech Hashem, the ways of God, is because it, the sefer is supposed to explain the different ways that Kaddish Baruch Hu interacts with the world or, or the different ways, that it, the different modes of being essentially of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, to understand Kaddish Baruch Hu, a little bit better uh, she, um, He explains that these are his ways the ways that he interacts with his creations where he told us through his Torah, and through his Nevi'im. So according to the Ramchal, it's very clear where we study ideas that are God, that are of godly significance, um, and that's in the Torah. In the Torah. Hash Baruch Hu sometimes can reveal these things to Nevi'im, uh, or write it for us in the Torah. And perhaps we can understand it from understanding the Torah properly. But these are the two ways. It doesn't come from from guessing, pontificating, you know, thinking about things and saying, you know, uh, I think God would have created the world for this reason. No, it comes from learning Torah in a very thorough and in-depth manner, and it comes from understanding our traditions from Neviah. However, going back to the Chovot Levavot for a moment, in his Akdama, he writes something a little bit different. Vesharim shpatcham avorei ladat torato to hem Right, the, the gates that a baruch Hu opens to understand his Torah and his religion, there are three, three gates. So first of all, I just want to point out that where the Terah Hashem said from the nevi'im, the chovat is a little more clear, and he says that it's the. Masora based on the Kabbalot, the things that we are Mikabel that's where Kabbalah comes from. And that's what the it's it's something that you don't think up. I, I think this makes sense. No, it's something you're mikabel, It's something we received through a tradition. So they're the traditions that we received from our predecessors. You know, from our, our earlier ones, probably a reference to Chazal, um, and our you know earlier rabbanim which they received from the Nevi'im. So we really have two stages here. We learn it from Chazal, from our, our stages, and they learned it from the Nevi'im. But I think the most significant um, aspect of this uh, of the three gates here that he introduces is that he adds one. He adds one that the Derah HaShem doesn't mention, which is that he speaks about the Seichel. He speaks about our... Our minds and our ability to contemplate abstract matters and understand the Kodesh Baruch Hu through the mind that's a that's subject to some significant debate, and we 're going to see that debate inside because it really all of a sudden it it, it opens up a a gate <laughs> uh, to to really thinking and assuming things about God on our own that He isn't telling us, right? So obviously, through the you know, if He told us an idea through the Torah, we can kind of rely on its truth a little bit more easily, and a little bit more confidently. So we really need to understand in depth the role that the seichel plays in understanding a kaddish baruch And there are a couple of different approaches, and we're really going to take all three of these gates: the seichel, the Torah, and Kabbalah, or you know the the Misora, our traditions, one by one, and speak out what the significance of each one is. Okay. So first of all, when it comes to the seichel. Uh, not surprisingly, the Rambam places the most significance on the role of the seichel in understanding God. So, what does that mean? Well, first of all, the Rambam writes in the Mor that what the seichel does is it's able to to fathom, contemplate, uh, or, or or conceptualize the truth of a matter, right? The underlying truth of any idea, right? He says that. That's really what the Seichel does, that's the role of the Seichel, not just to see something, and not just to imagine something, but to understand something, to understand why it is, to understand its reason and its source. And this is the goal of the Seichel. And perhaps, in a, more, uh, perhaps a little bit more clearly and a little more thoroughly, he spells out his opinion on what the Seichel does in the Prakim. And he writes as, as follows, Vachilika Sichlih. So he's talking with the different parts of our alokim, different parts of our Neshama, and he says, okay, the the Kheleika the part of the Sechel, Hu asher yaskil, Right, so this is the, the koach, the power, the ability that people have to be maskil, to uh to, to, to think, to uh, think abstractly, ubot right? And they can analyze uh and through it they will acquire knowledge. Through the seichel, you acquire knowledge. Right? Through it, you're able to differentiate between uh, what is desirable and undesirable, what is good and what is bad. Essentially, he places a tremendous amount of power in the hands of the seichel to, to you know, arrive on its own at conclusions of truth and non truth, uh, good and bad. And this is the Rambam's view of the seichel. He really sees it as a primary source through which we arrive at truth. The Malbim sees things a little bit differently, and the Malbim in his uh, in his commentary on Mishlei, Mishlei of course written by Shlomo Melech, deals with uh, ideas, Mishalim, right, parables, metaphors, and he speaks. He, the Shlomo Melech just starts out by talking about talking about the nature of knowledge, and the Malbim comments on the nature of knowledge, and different aspects of knowledge. And he writes as follows, He says, right? So this is uh, not just, this is not knowledge in, in, in an all-encompassing, you know, uh, uh, use of the word. It's not including scientific knowledge. It's talking about spiritual knowledge. Knowledge of Torah matters. Not, when I say Torah, I don't just mean the Chumshei Chumshei Torah, right? I, I mean, anything that could be included in the broader term Torah, something that, of course, that we'll be seeing a little bit more uh, inside this year when we hit the, the topic. But anything that's considered Torah knowledge, spiritual knowledge, godly knowledge... It is impossible. A person cannot figure these things out by himself. And nor can it be verified by any sign or symbol. Right? And we see this in the Torah, actually. Right? We see that in Parshat Re'eh, where God says, if anyone says that I sent them and they're trying to change anything in the Torah, and they even show you a sign, a miracle, Right, you might think, well, I didn't trust the guy originally, but you know, now he's doing a miracle. I guess God really sent them. God said, No, I didn't send him. If he's saying the Torah changed, if he's saying anything changed from what I'm establishing you with you right now, this covenant, if he says anything changed, I don't care if he does miracles or what signs it shows you, he's lying. I didn't send him. And so that's where we see this idea that that signs, miracles, you know, whatever you want to call it, is actually not considered a confirmation of, of 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 the spiritual domain. It says we cannot understand it for ourselves. We cannot verify it from ourselves. We can only understand these things. We can only get truth, get Chokmah, get Torah truth from from the Torah and Torah Chachma. This is a, a very important part of the Malbin, Where he says that, he, he explains briefly why it is that we can't, why it is that we can't learn these things for ourselves. And essentially, he says, "What it means to confirm that something is truthful, what it means to confirm that something is truthful, is to experience it with your senses. To uh, you know, to to have some tangible interaction with it with your senses, or to experience it firsthand." Right. These are his words: "Al hachushim or al muskalut rishonut." Right? So if you have a first hand exposure, a first hand experience, alternatively, if you can feel it with your senses, interact with it in a tangible way through your senses, so then you can understand that it's truthful. So uh, for example, you know, something that you see, right? Something that you touch, something that you, you know, that, that you feel, these are things that you can know of their existence. Right? Or something that you can study that has, you know, that, that you can study in some sort of tangible, quantifiable manner that you can you know, attest firsthand to what you're witnessing, these are things that you can know. However, when it comes to Torah ideas, ideas of the, of the spiritual domain, it says. Our senses are not privy to these things, and we're never going to witness them with firsthand knowledge. These are things that you that, that you just have to be told, right? The you know the the the, the impact the mitzvot have on the neshama. Like, these are just things that you have to be told that they work, right? It's not. It's really not a. It's not something that you can experience firsthand. And so the, the Malden's approach is very reasonable in his you know, explanation of why it would be that you need to be told truthful things. We don't have the kalim. We don't have the tools to verify information uh, that's, you know, that's, that's that's not uh, in, in a physical domain. However, and this is very important, and, and what we're discussing here is the role or lack thereof that the seichel that our minds have in understanding truth. He writes as follows: Lahavin, he describing what it means to understand. Ve'hine habina he mina says bina is different than chokma. Shehi masha <laughs> Vahain, lahavin, Hamelitzo, Takashot, Vahido, Testumot, Shidi Brubeim, Baleh, Tvuna, Vetachacha, Hochman, Asefet El, Hanefesh, Mimuchuts, Habina, he yot set me nefesh Ladat, Omkam, Vlotzi, Okay. The goes on to explain. While Chochma you can't understand on your own, Bina is a little bit different, right? Bina talks about understanding something through something else. What does that mean? Bina is, I already have information, now I am going to analyze it. Bina is about taking something that you already have and analyzing it and thinking critically about it. Right? chokma comes from the outside, Bina comes from the inside. It's our ability to examine what's in front of us and draw conclusions from it. So according to the Malbim, it seems that the Seichel does have a role in our learning of truth. He says, he says this is also what, what the Bina arrives at is also under the Koteret, under the title of emet v'sheker, truth and fallacy. However, it needs to be something that we are it needs to come from something that we are analyzing. Something that we already know exists and we can analyze that in order to extract our conclusions from it. So in that way, uh, the Seichel does play a, a prominent role. And when you think about, you know, all the debates and ideas that you've heard of. Right? And you wonder, how do we have so many debates and ideas? It must be everyone's just thinking for themselves and making up whatever they want. Well, it's not true. Classically, you know, you're you going to learn the Torah in order to learn the Torah's ideas. However, the Torah doesn't spell out the answer to every question that's ever been asked. The Torah gives you an idea. Where debates come from is in the use of our seichel, of our bina, in interpreting that idea into something practical, into something that addresses a question, or into something that's a little bit more elaborative. That's the role, uh, the legitimate role, that the Seichel plays in understanding Torah, and understanding truth. Maharal has a slightly different approach to the Malbim, and he expresses this approach uh, in two places. Once in Gevorot Hashem, and once in Derech Chaim. I don't know, that could be more places, but he addresses it in a little bit of a unique way in each place, right? The first thing he does in Gevurot Hashem is he tells you why it is, and this sounds a little bit like the Malbim, he tells you why it is that the Seichel is just not able to understand God. He says, don't get me wrong. The Seichel is able to understand abstract ideas, of course. It's not just that that you know, the Seichel can understand whatever it's in front of it. If you're looking at a table and the Seichel can understand you're looking at a table. No, of course, the Seichel is able to understand ideas that are far more abstract than you can, uh, you know, interact with, with your senses. Nonetheless, nonetheless says, However, things that are completely outside the domain of a human being... Right? That's where our sechel doesn't really traverse. And he explains why that is. He says why that is. He says it's because our ability to perceive is a product of our ability to experience, in a sense. And so whatever is within our experience we're able to perceive even when it's outside of us, right? So, for example, I, you know, if if you hit someone, you hit someone in the face, right? Now, it's not you being hit in the face, and yet you know that it's painful. In fact, you you can assume even beforehand that it's going to be painful. But why? That's not you. Well, because... You have something in common, right? A a, a similar makeup, a similar nervous system. You know that if you would be punched in the face, it would hurt. Now, the other person is not a wall, right? The other person is something very similar to you. If it would happen to you, this is how you'd experience it. So you can assume that if it happens to them, this is how they would experience it. So it's an ability to use, you know, it's, it's, it's an ability to to use your experience to perceive things outside of you. And so the Maharal says, of course the Seichel can perceive things, you know, perceive things that are abstract, that are beyond its, you know, its immediate experience. However, it needs to be in a domain which is at least familiar to its experience such that it makes sense to translate or to, to impose your experience on that phenomenon. So, when it comes to God, explains the morale, you just don't have enough in common to assume the godly experience. Right? You don't have enough in common with God to perceive how God sees anything or would think about something. Right? So, let's take an example of the creation of the world. Why would God create the world? So, I mean, you can think back, you know, you can think to yourself about it for your entire life, right? But what, what's your thought process? Essentially, even if you don't say it, your thought process is this. Well, if I were God, I would want to create the world for the following reason. But you're not God. You're not God. And your, your, your knowledge, your understanding, your, your mind, is so, so far off from God's. I mean, it's, it's almost funny to say it like that. We're not even talking about two things on the same scale. So how do you propose to understand why God created the world? You cannot begin to fathom, wrap your mind around what a godly interest is in this world. Well, if I were God, I would want the world for the following reason. But you're not. And you have... Just about nothing in common. And so your ability to perceive abstractly to that degree is, is non-existent. However, when it comes to things that are in your domain, you're able to, you know, to abstract and to assume based on your experience. So the Maral says in Der Chaim, something that's along the same lines, which is he's speaking about mitzvot. And uh, what he says is as follows. He says, you know, there are some things, some moral imperatives, some actions, and even some mitzvot that we didn't need the Torah for. Right? Which, again, meaning that may not sound like a major chiddish. Right? may not sound like a major insight. You know, for example, uh, you know, we don't think of don't kill as something that we necessarily needed the Torah to come and tell us to do. However, we we now have to explain... Why the Maharal sees it this way, given that he believes that anything God would tell us to do is above and beyond what we can perceive. By the way, that's a very consistent perspective of the Maharal, uh, as we you know as he goes through the mitzvot, as he as he explains his you know perspective on the commandments, and and, and the degree to which we can but really cannot understand them. So the Maharal explains that there are things that we're supposed to do in this world that are fundamentally in the domain of humanity. Right? A good example of this is Derech Eretz. Derech Eretz is, is essentially a, a moral imperative in the human domain. Behaving like a good human. That's, you know, that's, that's Derek Eretz, and that has different components in terms of, you know, your your midot, your treatment of others, your involvement in the world, meaning so we see throughout the Gemara, uh, Derek Eretz, you know, meaning different things. Sometimes Derek Eretz means, you know, how about a little bit of Derek Eretz, like, why don't you, you know, you're not behaving properly, and sometimes Derek Eretz is, like, going to get a job. Right? And the idea is that it's basically an all-encompassing term for behaving like a functional, proper human being. Um, and that's the the realm of Derek Eretz. And it says you don 't really need the torah the human mind can perceive that because Hu gave us the Sechel, and the human mind can perceive that, however, in the domain of Torah and mitzvot, or rather not in the human domain but rather in the godly domain, our minds can 't stretch that far because, as he explains earlier, the human domain is something that we have familiar experience with we 're human beings and we have a we have you know a, a contemplative mind that God gave us and we're able to assume you know, we're able to make the jump of if I would want this then that person would probably want something, uh, you know, similar or if you know, if if I would want humanity if I would want my life to be you know, working in the following way I, I can assume that humanity would want that as well and it might be a good thing to participate if I would want others to participate in developing the world so that I can directly benefit from the development of that world, then I should also probably participate in the development of the world. Meaning perhaps, so that's the domain that makes sense to human beings. Because it's a domain, it's it's, it's, a, it's abstract thought to a certain degree, but it's based upon the human experience. Torah and mitzvot is outside the domain of the human experience. And this is something that, you know, needs to be discussed at length in terms of mitzvot. But mitzvot are godly commandments. Meaning, this anyone who would try to water down uh, the torah and the commandments to like ethical human moral imperatives has no idea what the torah is I and mean, when you think about it, it, it we're not dealing with the pinnacle of human behavior in a sense right we're we're dealing with we're we're dealing with godly behavior Right as a, as as a metaphor you know if i were to hire you i said hey you know what i have a great job for you show up to my office uh first thing sunday morning but you don't know who i am and you don't know what the job is cuz i didn't tell you you don't even know what my company does so you're not going to show up day 1 and just start working right you're going to need to ask What's your company? Who are you? What do you want me to do? What, what, what are the details of my job? What's the goal here? Right? So, Lahavdil, God chose the Jewish people for a specific job. The mitzvot are, 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 are essentially the tasks of the job. I mean, there's a lot more to say on the topic, which is not our topic for right now, but they're the tasks for the job. So, who understands? what you need to be doing. Well, God understands what you need to be doing because he knows what the goal is and he knows how it's achieved. You can't work that out for yourself. It's not a question of morality. It's not a question of ethics. It's not a question of good or bad necessarily. One of the best proofs that it's not is that only the Jews have to do it. If fundamentally we believe that all the commandments were the best things to do for a human being, well, then we should tell everyone to do them. We should try to be getting more people to do it, which we don't, right? Right? And at the very least, other people should be allowed to do them. There are commandments in the Torah that those who aren't Jewish are not even allowed to keep. So we're not talking about something that's in the domain of human behavior in, you know, its optimal uh, 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 manifestation. It's just not what we're talking about. We're talking about behaviors of godly significance. And they're simply outside our domain. They're outside our personal experience to the degree, the degree to which... We cannot perceive about them and we must be told. Right? So we saw three different approaches in terms of the role that the Sechel plays. The Rambam seems to say that, that our Sechel is our tool for understanding good and bad, truth and and, and, and fallacy. Whereas the Malbim believes that no the Torah truth, truthful Torah, spiritual ideas, they must be told to us. However, based on what we know and based on what we see and based on what we experience with first-hand knowledge, we can intuit uh, other things. We can draw conclusions. And the Ma'aral says essentially there there are two domains, even within things of religious significance. Because Derech Eretz is not just something of... You know, human is not just something of secular significance and Torah's Jewish significance. No, of course, Derech Eretz is a fundamental religious value. It's a fundamental religious value in the domain of humanity, and therefore we can use the seichel to intuit. However, the things that are uniquely in the godly domain, the seichel has no has has no ability to to reach or to perceive. It has no shared properties by which it will. It's able to build off its own experience and understand what God would want, right? So that is understanding the role the Seichel plays in understanding truth in understanding truthful Torah ideas. And next week, we'll go on to the next two domains, which are Torah and tradition, things that are a little bit more straightforward. Okay, we'll stop here.